There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Every single day I was under heavy, heavy adrenaline, under heavy anxiety, which I liked. But taking that away from me was like, that's when the mental side of things really started to unravel for me, I'd say. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. It's always so good to have you guys here with me, part of the community, part of the living family. Thank you, everyone, for listening into the podcasts. Uh, whether you're a returning guest or it's your first time onto the show, welcome. I hope you guys have been enjoying them. I hope you've been learning a lot of information, very useful information for your own life or maybe someone else in your life that might need some of this wisdom at some stage on their journey. I hope uh, whatever it is, it's been really, really useful. I mean, that's the goal of this, and it's obviously to help bring bring together a community of, of people so that we can share real stories from all around the world. So welcome, thank you, and uh, always grateful for your guys' support. Before I welcome onto the, the podcast our next guest, and, and I'll tell you what, the guy is an absolute weapon. His name is Cole Sealy. But before we talk about Cole and his background and give him a wrap before he gets onto the show, I do want to share with you guys some some of my own experiences probably over the last few weeks, I guess, on my own mental health journey. I thought I'd, I'd share with you guys because I guess this is what it's all about. Recently, I've been seeing a a psychologist, a clinical psychologist here in Los Angeles, absolute game changing. Um, I decided to see and seek out for help in my journey for a number of things. Uh, one of them is probably being classified as probably OCD, overthinking, trying to free myself from you know, certain intrusive thoughts and, and certain behaviors. That was sort of what prompted me to reach out and get some support because some of my old strategies that I used to implement many years ago sort of aren't working as well as they used to or as I hoped that they would but it's all good the journey's just beginning and it's going to treat me very well both in my professional life and my personal life the experience has been great so far but it took me a while to find find this psychologist so that we're both on the same page I understand what he's he's all about Um, I actually see a, a male psychologist some dudes out there see females or males it depends on what you're comfortable with I see a male psychologist being very very helpful so far so i'll keep you guys posted on that journey uh, anyone out there that might be struggling right now or who, who's just in a bit of a funk speak to someone it doesn't need to be life-changing in the grand scheme of things it doesn't have to be waiting to hit rock bottom in order to seek help i mean i reached out just simply because i want to get better in certain areas and that's what help's all about it's not necessarily just reaching out for help when we're flatlining or when when we're in the red zone so i urge anyone who might be listening right now to reach out for support any support whatever it is highly highly recommend it 
But enough of that. Feel free to answer any questions. Hit me up on social media. Hit us up at Living. Uh, hit myself up. Always happy to share wherever I can on my own experiences. But let's just get straight into our next guest onto the podcast, shall we? His name is Cole Sealy. He's an American professional motocross racer. Sealy turned pro in 2009, debuting at the 2009 Phoenix Supercross, where he finished 11th in the 250SX West region. He's won five Supercross Lights races. He's a Premier Class winner. He's a 2015 Rookie of the Year. And he also represented the U.S., in the 2017 motocross of nations which is huge the guy is a weapon he's a legend recently cole stepped away he retired from professional motocross which i want to talk to him about that i also want to talk to him obviously about how we cross paths on social media and how that all came to light but also his transition from you know professional uh riding to everyday life and what that's been like for him the ups and downs of of a professional motocross career you know one of the best in the business doing it this guy is awesome he's been through a lot been through accidents he's come back he's represented his country he's won titles the guy's a, a, a great man as well who does great things away from the sport but without spoiling too much of it i thought why don't we just get him onto the podcast shall we and let's get straight to it welcome onto the podcast Cole Sealy, mate. It's a pleasure sitting across you here on Zoom right now, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. Just, uh, man, just got back from a round of golf. Woke up at like five this morning. Go get some golfing before uh, my buddies start work and and just uh, blow off some steam. It's always nice. Yeah. How many holes did you play this morning, mate? Just nine. It was it was terrible. I, I need to not do that in the mornings because it's, it's nice to get up early and have something to do. But I'm not like warmed up or like anything like that and i just play like terrible but it's still fun still a day on the course yeah yeah mate for sure and 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 just to give some listeners a bit of background the people that don't know about who you are and 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 i guess how this conversation came about between yourself and myself you and i connected over instagram over a, a pretty organic post that you just sort of put up and i come across it do you want to talk more about that mate yeah, yeah. So I was a professional motocross racer, motocross and supercross for 11 seasons, so 11 years. And man, it's it's a grueling sport, a lot of uh, ups and downs for sure. And I had a mental therapist, sports therapist um, that I was talking to for a few years and really didn't even think about using her once I transitioned to retirement because I was thinking, you know, oh, I get to retire, I get to do everything I wanted to do while I was racing now. It's going to be so great. And didn't really realize how tough that transition was going to be mentally. So I've, I've had my fair share of struggles over the last year and a half and just done my work. And that's just kind of the nature of who I am when, when there's a problem, I want to fix it. So yeah, I just put up a post. Somebody asked me about, you know, the transition and how it's been and all this stuff. And somebody who has struggled with OCD my entire life and led to anxiety. And then at one point led to depression and I also have ADHD. So like all these issues definitely were amplified once I retired. So I was just something that I put up organically just because I have quite a few followers on Instagram. So I think a lot of them need to know that they're not alone when they're going through those struggles. And I think that's probably one of the most important aspects of, of mental health is learning. Oh, I'm not alone in this. There's other people just like me and there's other people that have beaten this. So why can't I? Mate, that is remarkable. And I love the organic nature and how we connected and, and I guess how you shared a message with your community. Mate, were you surprised by the, the reach outs that you got and people saying, you know, I struggled with something similar, my transition was this. And the message went out that, you know, you, you struggled with the transition and it was mental health related, just for a bit of context for people that are listening. Were you getting a lot of people coming to you and were you surprised? Oh, yeah. I mean, I 
post a lot, but that was definitely my most replied to sent, like stare at the analytics because that's kind of what I do nowadays, but definitely like my most replied, everybody from past athletes to past military to just people going through their everyday life. It was just across the board. Everybody could relate to it, which I appreciate, you know, it's putting yourself in quite a vulnerable situation when you share something like that. So it was cool to, to have followers and people reach out to me and and again, you're not alone. Like those people aren't alone by me sharing that. And then it shows that I'm not by them reaching out to me and replying to it. Amen to that. And I couldn't agree more with you, but it's, it's also very hard to put it out in the public like that, you know, and share something like you mentioned, that's very vulnerable. And I guess that's part of what we promote with the podcast and everything that we do at Living. you know, it ain't weak to speak, but it's also arming people with those tools to know what to do when they are reaching out and asking for help or telling someone about how they're feeling. I want to rewind a bit because... I often ask guests that may have come, you know, with certain mental health challenges in their life, whether it be anxiety, OCD or whatever it is. And I can relate to you, mate, on those two fronts definitely right now, like having my own mental health struggles and and I've been uh, seeking professional help quite frequently over the past probably three months. Not to mention too much about that. I want to find out about your career, right? So being a professional motocross rider and a racer and all that great stuff that comes with it. Did you did you ever feel throughout your career that, you know, your OCD and some of your mental health challenges really served you a great purpose in your career? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, not necessarily OCD that was more annoying, but I've dealt with it my entire life, so it's not like anything new to me. But anxiety was definitely, I found a way to make it positive while I was racing it would like amp me up. Like I was more excited and more like into it. And I don't know, I just found a way to, to trigger that to be something positive, which was tough because it was something that I would like enjoyed almost while I was racing. And then when I transitioned to retirement, it was something I hated and didn't have an outlet to, you know, burn it off with. So day-to-day life, even like being anxious, going to the practice track, going to the gym, getting on the bicycle. Like I found a way to turn that into fuel. And it was definitely a positive for me. But like I said, it, it was tough once I once I stepped away, just like, oh, now what do I do with it? Um, and I didn't really know how to do that other than like lash out like at friends or at family or my girlfriend or something like that. It was definitely turned into a negative. And that was where I was like, all right, this is something I need to get grip on. But yeah, being a racer for 11 years, I would even drink coffee before I'd go to the line because I knew it was an anxiety inducer where I was like, oh, I need to feel anxious. I need to feel nervous. And I love that feeling. You know, you got tens of thousands, sometimes 100,000 people watching you in a stadium and it, it amps you up. And I love that rush and that feeling. Um, and nowadays, that's definitely the the hardest part and the thing that I struggle with the most. All right. You've said some very interesting things here. I, I want to just make sure I'm capturing and, you know, talking about some of those really interesting points. So as far as your career goes and, and you know, being a racer for 11 or so years and, you know, achieving some amazing, amazing achievements while in the sport and riding alongside the best of the best, right? What was the, the highlight of your career? I have three moments that I can think of when I get asked this question. Number one was winning my first race here at home in LA in the Dodger Stadium. That was definitely something that I'll never forget. And then probably a lot of listeners don't know and you might not know, but I came from like the lowest of low. Like I was not expected to be any what of a threat, like in our sport. Like I was just like first two years rode for free on like the first team was not a very good one, but they, they gave me a chance and just literally clawed my way up to the top. So won my first race in the, in the lights class at like 21 out in here in Dodger stadium. And then I uh, was able to go on and get a factory ride. And then the next moment would be, 
winning in the premier class, which is, you know, what I watched from when I was little to still watch it. <laughs> and I always will. So winning in the premier class. And then the third one is probably getting invited to race for our country in what's called motocross of nations, which is basically like the Olympics where we pick three riders from each country and then we go race. And I did it in England. It was a crazy experience. It wasn't the best experience, but just being invited was like the pinnacle to me. Like that is when you're like considered, all right, you made it when you get invited to that thing. Mate, that's fucking nuts. That's amazing, man. That that gives me goosebumps. This thing. So the first ride at Dodger Stadium would have been surreal, and especially if you if you you weren't ever looked at as like a threat, no one would have looked at is like who's this dude. And then you've just come through the ranks and absolutely smoked it. So, mate, the highs that you must experience, especially with the adrenaline that complements those highs, the euphoric highs when you're in a in a good situation already, and you add on that adrenaline, it's like how high can you actually go after that? How has been adapting from those highs to being racing in thousands of people? And I feel like if I'm talking to someone else and, and not to put a, a different sport down, but someone that's maybe in running or, or rugby or whatever it may be, I feel like the adrenaline's all, it's not relative. I feel like it'd be different. I feel like the adrenaline when you're, when you're doing extreme sports, like jumping out of airplanes, motorcycle riding, motocross, all that stuff, it probably comes with even a higher of a high. So how did you adapt to that with your career, like over, you know, over a period of time, whether it be through injuries or then obviously at the end of this transition, you know, going into civilian, normal, everyday life? Yeah, um, I'm never content. Like I'm always like searching for the next. Like, oh, I just did that. Well, I don't. I don't even have time to appreciate it. I just want the next thing. So that kind of just came naturally. Oh, like I'm a lower class level rider. I want the next thing. I want the next thing. I want the next thing. And the recognition and all that stuff that comes with it was just kind of a byproduct to me. Like I, I just wanted to win. I wanted to be out there battling for for wins or battling for titles. So that that was really easy for me. Like getting into it. Cause that's what I always wanted. I always wanted to be a super cross racer. I always wanted to be a motocross racer and be successful at it and make a living from it. So that was easy. Cause it was like, that's what I want when it was time to retire. And I still am glad I retired, but at the time I was like, that's what I wanted to, but I didn't really realize how that downfall of like lack of exercise and lack of adrenaline and all that day to day. Cause every single day I was under heavy, heavy adrenaline, under heavy anxiety, which I liked, but taking that away from me was like, that's when the mental side of things really started to unravel for me, I'd say. Obviously, it's a lot to unpack, but I've been diagnosed with ADHD and OCD and anxiety and all these things. And at the time, I didn't know that. And I love learning about these things because, like you mentioned, you kind of go in like it almost feels like a weak, like it has a stigma of being like, oh, you're weak, like especially being a male athlete in an extreme sport. It's not frowned upon, but it's like, I don't know, it's not the first thing you think of. And I'm really happy now that I'm on the other end of it because I didn't know I had ADHD and I had a feeling I did, but I didn't ever want to take medication for ADHD. I didn't ever want to take medication for anxiety or OCD or any of these mental health issues that I have. And that's the scary, was a scary part for me going in to see a therapist was like, are they going to tell me I need to get on medication? Cause I really don't want that. Like, I didn't even want to take the screening test, but my therapist is like, let's just take it, see if you have it. And then it's nice to know like, oh, I'm having this thought because I'm anxious or I'm having this thought because this is a characteristic of ADHD and learning about the things like ADHD is the way that your brain is wired. It's not a chemical imbalance like anxiety or depression is. It's the way that you're wired. So you're understimulated. So that makes a lot of sense to me because ADHD, well, when I'm on the bike, I'm 
extremely stimulated. Like my brain is functioning like a normal person does when they wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. So like knowing that, well, that makes sense because I was, when I was racing, I loved that feeling because I felt normal, you know? So learning about these things doesn't mean like, to me, it meant like, oh, I'm learning about these things, but now I'm gonna have to get medicated. Now I'm gonna have to, but it's not at all. That's my biggest takeaway from it is that it's just learning how to strategically day by day, like, oh, I'm having this thought because I'm anxious or I'm having this thought because I have ADHD and let it pass. And it honestly like takes 10 minutes for it to pass and then you feel normal again. So, but yeah, like again, with the adrenaline and the, and all that, like stimulating my brain was the biggest thing coming back to normal life. And like, I'm a perfectionist. So when something's off like that, I want to learn everything there can be to learn about it. And I want to fix the problem immediately. Unfortunately, patience doesn't come a long way with that. But with mental health, you do need a lot of patience. But again, I'm on the backside of it. So I feel a lot better about it now. Yeah, mate. Well said. And I think just to reiterate some of the points that you said, I think, you know, patience is a big thing. I mean, mental health in general, it's not something that you sort of can fix right away. And I know as males and, and, and guys, young guys like you and I, we like to have things done yesterday. We get pretty impatient. So I think that that can also be a really big challenge when you're dealing with mental health challenges and, and pressures of life, when you just really want to figure it out straight away, like get to the bottom of it. But sometimes it takes longer than that. And it's about being at peace with that, I feel. And that's certainly what's what helped me over the over the years. And medication certainly isn't for everyone. But I've seen firsthand experiences that in combination with, you know, talk therapy and mental health professionals that, you know, medication can really change and, and help someone's life for the better. And Yeah, for sure. And I'm not against it. I was just worried that that's the only fix, you know. So going to a therapist, like somebody who hasn't been, they might be worried about that. And a hundred percent, I've had friends tell me like, ever since I've kind of put up that post, like reach out to me like, oh yeah, I got on medication it fixed it. And I weaned my way off of it. That absolutely is a fix for people. And that's the right answer for me. I was scared of that. If that was the thing that was going to fix it, then sure. All I want to do is, was get back to feeling normal or whatever. But a lot of people don't know that you can fix it without medication. You can just learn about these things and study and I'll listen to podcasts while I'm driving and learn that you're not alone. Like more than the average person, like more than the average amount of people feel that way, probably just like you do and, and figure out ways to deal with it and cope with it. And there are very easy ways to do that. It's something that can be fixed. And again, patience is a huge part of it, but honestly, like just learning what I had, what characteristics they were and like, Oh, that's why I feel this way. And that that was the biggest thing for me like it was huge and it gives you a bit of peace of mind too when i feel like when the more you learn about something the more you understand it meaning the more you understand it when you do get those symptoms or you do get things in your life that are sort of making you tick you can sort of say that's why they're like that instead of being in the unknown because i feel like sometimes dealing with an unknown not knowing exactly what it is can also bring its own fear to people i agree with you fully and and i'm the same man if i if i'm invested in something whether it's crypto markets or whether it's mental health or whether it's acting or whether it's just life in general if i'm hooked on something i study it fully and i try and learn it as best as i can and you mentioned an important point before you're racing you you're crushing it you're doing amazing things you walk me through that so you you're sponsored at the time by honda for your full career is that correct yeah i was on a honda pretty much my entire career i rode for the factory american honda team for five years i believe and then i was on another team before that that was also a honda they call it a satellite team as a full-time professional athlete how does it work do they pay you a salary is it only if you do so many races you get paid by us if you get injured you're not getting paid like how does it work yeah so yeah honda's 
basically been my main employer for the majority of my career. And yeah, so I'm, I was on salary bonuses also for performance. Yeah, there are injury clause in, in a contract. Some companies won't act upon them if you're injured doing your job, <laughs> racing or, or practicing. A lot of the enjoyment in my life, like skateboarding and BMX and all that stuff, kind of had to take a back seat while I was doing that. Because if I got hurt doing that, then it was something that they could definitely act on. But yeah, the, I mean, Honda was a really great company to work for, work with. They treated me really good and really thankful for for the whole race team over there that stuck with me through highs and lows and all that stuff. But yeah, they were, they were always really good. I, if I got hurt racing, it was never something, you know, that I felt like, oh man, I, I got to get back on the line before before I'm ready because they're going to cut my salary or something like that. Oh, well, that's good, mate. That must have relieved a lot of pressure and, and stress and stuff in your life, especially financially. And, and that's interesting. I, I've, I've never really known how it works i mean if you if you're riding bikes and, and it's a very extreme sport it's dangerous i mean you get injured but then you're sponsored by the company that gives you the bike it's yeah it's interesting that they they wouldn't just cut you off just because you got injured on a track or something like that yeah no that was never really a fear of mine because they are such a solid solid team and such a solid group to work with and, and like i said it, i always tried to play it smart you know it's, you, you gotta be smart about about stuff like that and honestly i didn't really have time for it because it was 30 races a year and then i'd go over to europe for a couple of races every year so it was every time i was not racing or, or training I, I just wanted to be on the couch with my feet up yeah, yeah nice man nice talk me through what's the scariest time of your career like riding what were you ever scared of anything Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't have a lot of fear until like 2018, which was my second to last year racing. I was second in the points in the championship and having a great year. And we went to race in Florida. And um, when somebody's doing something on the track that you are not, it's like, okay, well that could cost me valuable points. So there was one section of jumps that I hadn't done yet. And I just went for it in the middle of my race. And came up short i went over the front of the bike and the bike actually ended up bounced off me and it, it hit me in the pelvis so that was the scariest moment of my my entire career um just because it destroyed me it, it broke the soft tissue in between my pelvis completely collapsed the i broke the sacrum behind it in my back broke it on the left side dislocated on the right and it was the most pain i've ever been in by far the scary part though was had it hit me a little higher it could have got my spinal cord i could have been paralyzed I had a six month recovery after that. And for the first two months, I was like, there's no way I'm ever getting back on a dirt bike. Like I hated it. I hated the thought of it. It was just disgusting to me. Um, and that was probably where my mental health like started to like, okay, I need to get a hold of this because it was so many emotions day to day, so many feelings like hate for the sport, hate for what I had loved my entire life. And that was a tough one to get through for sure. Mate, was that the one down at Tampa? Yeah, yeah, in the Buccaneer Stadium in Florida, yeah. And packed out stadium, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was... Wow, what was the stadium like when you hit the... Like, you're racing, right? Walk me through it. So you're on a bend, you're going straight through it, and you're hitting... You hit the jump, your adrenaline's pumping because you're in a race. When you've hit yourself that bad, you're almost... You're in a critical critical injury state. Yep. What's the adrenaline like once you're injured? Can you feel it straight away, or does it take time for you to come to it? It usually takes quite a bit of time. That one probably set in a lot sooner, but I, it, again, it was just adrenaline. Like I hit the ground. I remember like laying there, like moving my feet, like, okay, I'm good. Like I'm not paralyzed. Like I can feel everything. I can move everything. And like sitting up and just trying to like wave at other riders to not hit me. Like, no, I'm there. So the adrenaline's still pumping. Cause I'm still like 
you know, in survival mode, basically, as soon as the bikes pass, like they red flag the race, which means they do a restart and just like dead silence, just like laying there stadiums quiet. Like everyone's wondering like, what's going to go on. And, and usually I've been in a situation like that where like, you know, they have the medic cart where they put you on if you can't walk or if you're injured or whatever. And usually like nine times out of 10 myself and everyone else, if you get on the medic cart, you know, you throw a hand up just like in other sports to let everyone know you're okay. And I remember getting on that medic cart and laying on that thing, just being like, I'm not moving. I'm not okay. I cannot wait to get into the hospital and get some kind of painkiller in me because I was in so much excruciating pain. That's gnarly, man. That's fucking so scary. And so what throughout those next six months of, you know, working on rehab and, and getting better, what you just sort of felt pretty resentful towards towards the industry, did you? Yeah, um, I was in a wheelchair for two months. And so that period of time was where I was like, screw this. I don't want to ever be in this situation again. Like, this is the scariest, like most painful, just, I don't know. I have a kind of a weird feeling towards pain pills too, where I, I, I've seen so many other racers and friends get addicted and all that stuff. So I'm always the type of guy that's like, I'll get off of them days after. And that was so painful that I was not addicted, but I needed them for the first month just to get through the day. You know, it was like, it was like, I wanted so badly to not take them, but it was like, I couldn't. And, and I hated it because of that. And it was just a bad deal. So the, the career sort of slowly tapered down after that. Is that is that what happened? Is that what sort of went into the transition from there? Or did you try and get back to it? Or Yeah, I did. And again, like being a perfectionist, like I love a challenge. So like. I- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'd say probably two, three months after the injury, I can actually remember where I was. It kind of just flipped like a switch. I was like, I want, I want to go back. Like, like literally one day it was like, I hate the sport. The next day it was like, all right, like if I stop racing right now, it makes it feel like I'm quitting because of my injury. If, even if I go back and race one more year, then I can retire on my own terms. So that's what I did. I, I was like, you know what, like I, I can beat this. I'd say probably around the two and a half, three month mark, wasn't able to do anything physical yet. But as soon as I was at the four month mark, they cleared me to start cycling again. And then six months was when I could start riding again. So I was just like, all right, like this is a goal. I want to get back on the bike. I need to prove to myself and to everyone that I can do it. And not only can do it, but I will do it and race against the best in the world again. Everything I looked at as a challenge. Like I think around like the seven month mark, I had like this insane ride out here that I usually do. That's like a 90 mile ride with like 10,000 feet of climbing. I was like, all right, I can do that. If I'm going to get back. I need this can be a benchmark. Like I'm going to do this. And just kind of got my ducks in the line and and just checked off some boxes before I lined up again. I actually went over to Europe later that year to race just to kind of get some some gate drops under my belt and line up next to some guys. But I mean, it was not easy at all. I think the goal of getting back to racing definitely made the mental side of things easier because I was like, had a set goal in mind. Like, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm going to do. But I didn't really realize like until later, later on in life that that was a lot more challenging and it was going to bring up more challenges later in my life for sure. You're a machine. You're a machine. <laughs> Especially how you like commit. Like I'm, I'm hearing you talk and just the way you commit to something, no one's going to change your decision. If you're saying I'm coming back, no one's stopping you, Cole. No one's stopping you, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd actually rather people tell me I'm not going to do it just so I can have more people to prove wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that, man. I love that too. It helps so much. Is it true if, if I say this, if, if you're a good motorcycle rider, you're also a good push bike rider. Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand just because it's one of the most physically demanding sports in the world. I think next to soccer, it's like second. So yeah, you just need that big base of cardio fitness. So everybody that races cycles, whether it's most everybody, road bike and mountain bike, you can get, yeah, with road biking, you can get more of a sustained like heart rate zone. Like I'm going to keep it here for this amount of time, or I'm going to build up to this and, and whatever. But with mountain biking, it's more of like sprint, chill, sprint, chill. So like, it's like interval training. Yeah. So that that's a huge, huge part. I probably spent more, more hours on the bicycle during the week than I would on even on my dirt bike. Wow. So yeah. So, so as far as training goes, how long would you start training seriously for before a race? Give me a rundown of what that training regime looks like for you. Yeah. So we race from the start of January to the end of August. So we do like supercross, we do 17 races in 18 weeks. So it's just go, go, go. So like you kind of sustain throughout the year, but then like right before November to the end of December is like, we call it like the boot camp months. So it's eight weeks of like, just putting yourself through hell like digging yourself in a hole and then leaving enough time after that to recover before the season starts. Yeah. It was always four days of riding during the week and then 
usually three to four days at gym and then probably same three to four days, two days. Like I would go straight from the track to the gym or straight to the track to meet up with friends to go on a bicycle ride. Mate, I didn't know how taxing motors. Oh, Mate, I, I, honestly, I'm yeah. very naive here. I would have thought bike riding, bicycle riding would have been high, but I didn't know about all the other stuff like gym training and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Like during those months, it is brutal. Like that's the part of the year that I hated the most was was the November, December time of the year because we were putting ourselves through hell. A lot of the days you show up at the track and you can't even like hold yourself up because you're just so tired and not every day is going to be your fastest day on the track, which is frustrating. But yeah, it, it is it is absolutely brutal. And then during the season, you, you kind of taper off. You're just trying to maintain that strength that you built. And racing alone, the race day is, is a lot of riding. So that kind of counts as a, tra- as a training day. You really only ride like three times during the week and well, two of those are pretty light cycling just to maintain and, and gym work just to, to maintain. You're not doing a lot of building during the season because you are building with the racing. So it's brutal. And then I like actually right before my big injury, I had started introducing mental training because that was like the one thing I was like, well, I have everything going on. Like, what can I do to win? Like I was second in points. So I went to a mental therapist, the one that I'm still seeing right now. And that's how I met her was actually through my team manager of the Honda racing team. And, um, as an athlete, you're so hard on yourself. Like even when you win, you're like, what could I have done right? Or what could I have done better? Um, so she kind of introduced mental exercises to pick the good parts out and then, and then kind of dissect everything and, and put everything in a category. Like, okay, this is what I did good. And this is what I need to work on. Not be so like focused on the things that I hadn't done right during the, the race or the training week. Mate, that's amazing to hear that. Do you think that if you'd, uh, took up mental mental fitness training if that's what we're going to call it right now earlier in your career do you think it would have served you even better yeah for sure it would have definitely i'm i mean better late than never i'm glad that that she kind of came into my life when she did um and helped me while she while she was because it was big for me like i I hadn't even had a, a full season with her and i was already like seeing results not only at the race but like during the practice day like picking apart like oh i did this really good today I need to work on this. And then what am I going to do to work on that? I like to have things to the T, like this is what I need to do. All right, let's go execute. Mate, that's really a fascinating point you've mentioned there because, you know, I speak to people all the time and we often look at a lot of the physical training, but we don't really give the mental training enough time that it probably deserves. And I feel like I like to think and I like to explain to people in my life, like I would always speak to a mental health professional if I'm struggling. But I'd also speak to a mental health professional when I'm absolutely going amazing for a number of reasons. Because like you mentioned earlier, you, your mind is so powerful and it can be so temperamental at times and it can change quite quickly if you don't keep up the training on it. And that's why whether you're listening to podcasts, reading books, going to a psychologist or, or a talk therapist, whoever it is that makes you feel comfortable... I feel like it just continually makes you better because I feel like if your mindset's optimal or optimized, I feel like the rest of your career or the rest of your life seems to start optimizing. And I feel like they all sort of go in sync, but I feel like the mental health aspect of it all is what aligns them. I feel like without mental health, like good mental health, the other areas aren't going at their best that they could possibly go. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the mind is, it's a crazy, crazy thing that, (laughs) <laughs> more powerful than any muscle in your body and it, it, it can definitely 
I mean, you can alter the way you think, like you can look at something as bad or look at it as good. One of the biggest things I think I got from my mental training was this is something I did bad. Well, what am I going to do to fix it? And one of the biggest things that I got from it also was, was writing things down, you know, like I'd never journaled. I never, you know, just wrote what I did during the day down. And that was, that was huge. Cause there's something about putting pen to paper, like putting your thoughts on paper, even if you never read it again, you remember it better. For instance, like with racing, like if I would have liked to hit my corners a little better today and I would never really think like, well, what am I going to do to fix that? And I would just dwell on like, I didn't do that good enough. I didn't do it good enough. I didn't hit this jump. Or I didn't hit that turn good enough. And taking pen to paper and being like, I didn't like the way that I was cornering today. And then the next thing, what am I going to do to fix it? Well, then you start breaking down your thoughts. And I, now I apply that to everyday life. Did I have a bad day with, with my mental health? Well, what am I going to do to fix it? Whether that's meditation or going on, like exercise is huge for me. I didn't realize if I'm feeling anxious, I just go for a bike ride and get my heart rate really high. Well, then I fixed it. So if I had a bad day with mental health, well, the next day or that night, I'm going to do something to fix it and, and write it down and dissect it and, and make it better. Mate, that's amazing. I feel like more people need to need to hear that because I feel like people would live a, a lot happier and healthier lives if they prioritize their mental health the way that they prioritize physical health and other areas of their life. And mate, it's amazing hearing it from you. I mean, with your transition into your, into your new part of your life and the next chapter in your life, because we're, not, we're never identified by one single area, right? With this next transition into, into your next part of your journey and your next chapter, what does that look like for you, mate? How, how much do you prioritize your mental health, your physical health? Because I know that you're doing some YouTube stuff and, and I want to talk to you about that. How does all that sort of work together? That's been the toughest part to figure out. Like while I was racing, I had no time to do anything. So now I have all the time in the world. It's, it's kind of a weird, weird feeling. Um, it feels super foreign to me. That was honestly a struggle of mine too. Because, you know, while I was racing, I was seeing my brother and my friends and all these people like going on these vacations and, and partying and having all, of, it seemed like the time of their life. And once I retired, I was like, oh, now I finally get to do that stuff. And it wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. So it's like, oh, shit, like, wh what do I do with my time? Day to day, like I recently really like got my physical, you know, training back on schedule and, and really like have been more passionate about that, especially since stepping away from racing. Obviously the mental side of things, I've been obsessed with fixing all that and, and figuring it out and, and all that. But as far as work goes, like I, a brand ambassador for a lot of the companies I used to race for. So that's been really fun. It's been different because I, I don't really know what I'm doing until like a month out as far as like content trips or whatever it might be. That's been the weirdest part because usually my year is booked out. January, I know I'm racing from January to August. And then once like October comes around, I know I'll probably go overseas and race. And then I'll chill for a little bit and then I get right back into training for the next year. So not knowing what my year looks like or my months or my weeks, whatever, it's that's the weirdest part for me, for sure. Does it freak you out? Does it freak you out when you love your list and you yeah. love everything in order? It definitely, yeah, <laughs> it definitely did at first. And with the pandemic, with the world under lockdown, not only athletes, but everyday people like that have normal nine to fives or, or whatever it might be, it's depressing. Like you don't realize how stimulated you are by just going to work or doing something. And then you sit at home and it's nice to chill for a little bit, but then it really starts to take a toll on, on everyone's mental health. That's a, a lot of what me, me and my therapist talk about. It's not just me or athletes that like have been affected by this. It's everybody. It's crazy, man. It's very, 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 very crazy. The, the impact that it has had on, 
on so many different people. But I know what you mean about if you're going from one thing and then something sort of feels a bit unorganized, it can sort of make you feel a bit uneasy and, and that stuff that comes with that. I had a question that's come through from a friend. His name's Christopher Clark. Um, and he asked me, what are your thoughts on Ryan's Hughes theories about whether neck and knee braces do more harm than good? Man, that's a tough one. It's a weird subject because originally it was it was made to obviously save your neck. But I found, in my experience, done more harm with, with shoulder injuries and doesn't necessarily do its job every single time. So I, I wore it for a little while, got away from it. I liked it better without it. I think it's a rider preference. I do not agree with the knee brace one. I think that that is a saver. <laughs> like it, I think in any sport, your knees are like taking some damage and some heavy hits. I've twisted my knees and my knee braces and had like even like a, a tip over where the bar has hit my leg. And I actually was, was leading a race and went down, tipped over in a corner. And I probably would have messed my knee up really bad, hyperextended it, but felt the knee brace stop it finished the race. And when I got back to the truck, started getting undressed, my knee brace was snapped in half. And I was like, that could have been my leg. Like, you know, like that, that bit of support, like definitely just saved me. So I, I'm a strong believer in the knee brace, neck brace. It's more rider preference, I think. Okay. I do want to ask too, with the YouTube stuff, is that like a business or is that more of like a hobby for you? You're just trying to build a community. Can you talk to me through a little bit of that and, and how people can find you on, on YouTube? Yeah, it's just Cole Seely, my YouTube channel. Yeah, it started as a hobby, really. I, I mean, I'm really bad about posting on there constantly or like with a schedule. But as of like the last couple of weeks, I've been like, it's really grown to the point where I'm like, it might as well like just like people love it. Like when I if I go to a race or I'm around the motorcycle community, that's all they want to talk about. They don't want to talk about my racing. They want to talk about the bikes I've built. Yeah, so it started with I got a bike while I was racing actually my last year of racing, and I had like this idea of building it. It was a, a street legal dirt bike, dual sport. And I was like, yeah, people ride these on the street and then they take them on trails. But like, how cool would it be if I built it to ride on the street to the supercross track, which not everyone can do and get a ton of content out of it. So the way I did it was like, I documented it, you know, like taking it apart, what parts I was getting anodized or powder coated or, or whatever this is, how I was doing the suspension, how I was doing that, how I was doing this. And people loved it. Like they're so entertained by it and so interested in it, the whole process from start to finish. And I did another one after that. I've done a few after. So it's like, whenever I have work to do on bikes, I just document it and everyone's super interested. So you actually build bikes. You can build them up. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of racers don't really know how, like I said earlier, when we were talking in the podcast, like I came from like a pretty bare minimum point as a racer. So I did a lot of the work by myself like i can't do it all but i can do a lot of it so i was always really like fascinated by it. like i'd love it so and i love customizing like cars bikes whatever is that's what i just love to do as a hobby so i figured like why not document it like share it with the world and and if sponsors get behind it then that's even better if i can get the parts for free if i can work with companies then i don't know it's been a cool way to get sponsors and kind of showcase parts i guess it's amazing to continue building that community, you know, like that part of your journey. Now you're onto this part of the journey that could even be even bigger. And then you're doing your coffee business and everything, aren't you? Yeah. Are your hands full or? Pretty full, yeah. I love being busy. So I love to take on more stuff. But with the year that we've, the world has had the last year, it's been difficult. But like I said, like taking apart a motorcycle is pretty easy for me. But like to showcase it is, is just fun for me and then customizing it like i am obsessed with that like 
I take it down to the frame. Literally every nut and bolt comes out, whether it's powder coat, anodized, the suspension gets nitrate coated and the engine gets Cerakoted. Like I, I just been obsessed with customizing bikes and, and it's never something that I really thought of doing for like customers or anything like that. But as my own personal stuff, I, I love it. It's so fun. It's like an artistic way of working on, on your craft in a way, you know, you're designing it, you're, you're building something from nothing. So yeah, guys, check out Cole's uh, YouTube channel. He's got some awesome videos there of some of his builds and some of the, the work he's doing in his community. Mate, before I wrap up the podcast, obviously I like to ask my guests a top three. Now feel free to answer these in, in a sentence, a paragraph, a word, whatever you want to do, whatever makes you most comfortable. And then, uh, yeah, mate, we'll close up the episode, but I appreciate all of your time and your insights into not only the motocross and, and your career, but also, you know, your post-career passions and, and highlights and, and your mental health journey. Very grateful to hear all that, as will be the community that are listening in to this episode right now, mate. So I just want to yeah, say on behalf of myself and Livin, we're, we're very grateful for your time and Wish you nothing but the best in the future, bro. But the top three, mate. The first one is, what is the best piece of advice you've received in your life? Man, that's a tough one. Probably, like, I, I don't remember. I think it was my riding coach or something like that. It was just, like, kind of, like, living in the moment, you know? Like, especially now, like like I said before, I was never content with where I was at. I always wanted more and more and more. So I never really, like, sat down and appreciated till I was – past the moment like how great it was and and it, it can apply to everything in life you always think like oh the good days are behind me but like it's not true like in a year you look back on this time and, and probably think like oh it's such a good time but yeah probably living in the moment like really like taking everything in is probably something that i struggle with so that was probably the best advice for me that i needed that's amazing advice it's great advice what about number two mate i'm going to go with the opposite what's the worst advice you've received in your life <sighs> man that's a tough one too <laughs> I probably relate this to like finances. <laughs> yeah, mate. A- anything, anything. What is it? Well, at a young age, I was you know buy a house it'll it'll go up in value. <laughs> but I bought a house in a in a place that didn't go up in value, and I and I lost some money on that. So that's probably some of the worst advice that I've gotten in my life. <laughs> it's definitely it de- it definitely isn't just like buy a place as an investment. It's like buy a place in a sought after place and then it'll be an investment yeah 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 so there's a little <laughs> bit more to it than just buying yeah. a home you heard yeah. that people you heard that but the last one on the top three is give me two or three things you do to look after your mental health right now i think we've touched on pretty much all of them i think therapy is is huge and that can be weekly or every other week or monthly whatever it is i think just touching base with you know getting back to like breaking it all down and, and dissecting it and the screening tests and all that stuff. I love that stuff. Cause I like to know why I am the way I am and figuring out ways to fix them, ways to correct them. I think going to therapy is, is huge. I still go once a week, twice a week. That's a big one. And I talked about journaling pen to paper is something that's huge. I think, and I don't, I got that advice from a therapist. I think anybody who doesn't even go to therapy or isn't even struggling with anything that can benefit anybody putting pen to paper. And like I said before, you don't even need to go back and read it. Just putting the thoughts down, making them a real thing, something in the universe and acting upon them is, is huge. Also with mental health, I've realized that diet is huge eating right, or at least trying to during the day. It's good to have fun for sure. But you know, alcohol can be a huge anxiety inducer, uh, realizing what alcohol, that's something that I've 
definitely come across where I'm like, oh, I need to stay away from that. That definitely made me feeling anxious and just coming to the realization that the diet thing is huge because coffee, like I cut down on my coffee because it made me anxious and I own a coffee company. I love coffee, but if it's affecting my mental health, it's something that I need to chill out on. Drinking is another big thing. And then just eating right, like eating, like I said, water intake, but also like healthy foods, like instead of waking up and having a microwave sausage sandwich from Starbucks or from McDonald's, like making an acai bowl or, or just getting your diet right. I think that's a, that's a big thing that I think people don't really realize really affects mental health. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Diet is one of the most underrated antidepressants I think there ever is. And it's so good for your mental health, man. It's amazing. I had to change my whole diet a few years ago now and, and it's treated me very well in my life's choices, both personally and professionally, mate. So I appreciate that. And I think that's wonderful advice. Great to finish off this episode on, mate. Literally so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much for sharing some of your insights. We could have spoken a lot longer and a lot more, but I feel like we've captured what we've needed to capture today. And mate, looking forward to hopefully meeting you in human form sometime soon, mate. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for thanks for uh, getting me involved in this. I'm appreciative that you that you hit me up. It's something that like you can seem weak with. You know, like it, you seem weak if you go to a therapist. You seem weak. Like it's it's not at all. It's not something to be embarrassed about. So. If this helps one person, then I think we did a good job. So yeah, thank you for... It definitely will, brother. It definitely 100% will. And and you're so right. You know I mean? Speaking up and seeking help is a strength, not a weakness. And mate, this goes to show how many people are actually doing it. And you and I are both, you know, two people out of hundreds of thousands of people that are reaching out and asking for help but then there are a lot of people that aren't reaching out for help and that this episode and this is what we do is is going to help empower people to reach out and take those necessary steps in their life to get back on track so that they can start living again i appreciate it all i'll make sure everything's in the show notes as well so once this airs and whatnot i will uh have everything in show notes i'll have your socials how to get in touch with you if people want to reach out follow your youtube follow your instagram and all that sort of stuff but mate yeah very grateful and mate if i can help with anything now into the future with anything living anything mental health related i'll uh just reach out anytime you need to awesome well thanks i appreciate it thank you again for listening in to another episode of it ain't weak to speak Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at livin.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.